IndependentLeft.News Indie. Indie. What's up, Indie? Indie News Network. Indie. I get news from Independent Left. IndependentLeft.News. IndependentLeft.News. Indie Left Media. Independent Left News. Indie Left. Independent Left News. Independent Left Media. Indie Media. Indie Left. Indie. 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 Indie Left News. Indie Left. Hi, Indie. Indie Left News. Subscribe to Indie News Network. We're world building. Your, your way of assisting, I feel like, is really cool. Independentleft.news. Independentleft.news. I'm a huge fan. He created INN. The founder of uh, Independent News Network. Indy is the founder of Indy News Network. Thank you, Independentleft.news. A huge thank you and shout out to Indy Left. Everyone, check out Indy Left News. Hey, Indy Left. Independentleft.news. Indy. Indy. Hi, Indy. Indy Left. Indy Left News. Indy News. Independent Media. Independentleft News has done an amazing job. All right, Reef did it right. It all worked. Oh my God. Yay. It switched the screens. Yeah. It turned on the mics. It did everything it was supposed to do. The button worked. Okay. Hi, everybody. Isn't that Holy nice? crap. It's, uh, it's Sunday night. I didn't have to do anything. That was, that was really nice. Thank you. <clears throat> Hopefully, I sound pretty good. I'm still, I still a little hoarse from last week, but pretty good. Uh, like, a, like a mini pony? Yeah, this is, this is Satan News Network. Sorry. Uh, right. Exactly. Ed Heller. So if you were watching last week, that check out the clip. It's great. Thank you, Turncoat Don, who put out another banger today. Hysterical. Love him. Follow at Turncoat D on Twitter. So, uh, what's up, dude? You had a crazy week. We had a crazy week. Yep. Wait, why is it saying Thanks my name now twice on this thing? Gabby Sabs coming on INN News. That, I don't know. Gabby Sabs did come on INN News. Name badge Indy. Yep. Boom. Turn that off. Okay. That was We're fun. Good. People should go back and check that. INN's uh, almost at a thousand. INN to one K, yes, please. It, more subs. Share, share youtube.com slash indie news network. Get us to one K so that we can monetize that channel and start getting some super chats, which would be nice. Of course, you can also go over to yep. the Rockfin right now, rockfin.com slash IND left news, and you can leave us a super ray slash, you know. Over there, and we can get that. Mm-hmm. We've got some of the family already in the in the house. Thank you, appreciate that. Love you. I uh, want to get started. There's a ton to go to, to do tonight. So, um, welcome everybody. How do we miss that? How did we miss that? Is a show and podcast streaming live on Rockfin, YouTube, Twitch, Rumble, Facebook, Twitter, Odyssey, Telegram, and on Substack and IndieLeft.News, which I did not turn on, so it's not over there. Sunday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific. That's now. Available on all your favorite podcast platforms, too. So hosted by Indy, that's me, founder and editor of Indy Left News, Indy Media Today. And this guy sitting next to me, he's Reef Freeland. He is INN's technical director. He is the host of Reefer After Dark and the host and creator of INN News, which you can see every Wednesday night on INN exclusively. We're both founding members of Indy News Network, INN, a collaborative family of independent content creators. Love to the fam. Go Follow all, all of them at IndieNews.network. You can find all our channels. Um, uh, normally, I say that all the stories were included in Independent Left News this week, and kind of that's true, but we're doing a lot of Twitter stuff this week. So not everything, but we've got some stories that we got to report on. So make sure to share this link, <clears throat> like the stream, subscribe to the channel on all the platforms. We're everywhere. You, I just said where. We've got our volunteers. We thank everybody for that. We've got them crawling in the stream also. Uh, as well as our volunteer, as well as the the donors and patrons and people who support us financially, I did turn on Substack f- 
for paid subscriptions this week. So you can, you can go and support us over there. Also, I changed the subdomain on Substack. So it's now IndieMediaToday.substack.com. There is no more independentleftnews.substack.com. All the old one will work canonically, but it's now Indie Media Today. And I think that better separates it from Indie Left News. So cool. Mm. We got we got stories. We got we got three stories. And the first one really pisses me off. And I want to get to it real fast. Um, let's do mm. it. All right. So this is our thumbnail. Shout out, of course, Big Man Crab doing the thumbnail. We're going to talk about the Twitter files. And we're going to talk about what Eliza's... Eliza Blue is doing on Twitter and with Elon Musk and for for you know exposing and shutting down child child sex ex- exploitation at CSE as we're going to refer to it quite often tonight. Um so mm-hmm. let, let, we're going to get into the first story tonight. But before we do, and I have to say last week when we were doing our fun Turnco Don segment with with Joe, I had another slide prepared and I forgot to say, I forgot to use it. And, and Charlie Put together uh, our our friend at Charlie ZXI, I believe it, it is her her handle on Twitter. Uh, put together this this awesome the Putin puppets because we are all the Putin puppets. A, a nice nice holiday playlist for mm-hmm. the Putin puppets. So we've got Warring in, in a Winter Wonderland and Nazi. It's cold outside, and of course the blue and yellow Christmas instead of a white Christmas. And Azov's got run over by a tank deer, and Jolly Saint Vladimir silver shells and. Edward the Snowden, like, like Rudolph, I, I guess, oh. or let it, or let it Snowden. Uh, I guess we could have gone that way too. Let it Snowden. Let, let it Snowden, and and of course uh, we've got Joe playing the harmonica there, and everybody's got a got a role, and uh, Don's playing the drums. I love it; just so funny. Thank you, thank you, Charlie. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, little levity. Now we got to get to what's really pissing me off, which is the railroad workers, and we're going to stand with the rail workers. Shout out to Savvy Sabs for having them on this week to hear their voices. Yep. Also to our friends over at Do Dissidents for having them on as well over the last couple of weeks. Let's take up the railroad workers' fight for paid sick leave. We all need it. All right. So this is this is a, a hopeful, come on, guys, rah, rah. But it's a little bit more than that because of this. Right, so here here's all our workers in in Boston. This is Lily Meyerson over at Truthout. Truthout's an indie media award winning outlet. Go follow them. But now we've got you know people paying attention to paid sick leave. So you know, paid sick leave was brought to the forefront of U.S. discourse this past week. Under the imposed deal, workers received no paid sick days. We know this. Four unions had already voted against the contract, and then Congress's move comes after massive layoffs undertaken by railroad companies. Railroad bosses, of course, who've taken $200 million themselves in compensation in three years, laid off nearly a third of the workforce of the seven Class 1 railroads. We've covered this pretty extensively, right? And, and so, in essence, rail bosses have created this crisis by putting workers under increasing strain while refusing to offer benefits in return, including paid sick days. However, although Senate Democrats failed to push together, this push, push through this last-minute measure to add seven days of paid sick leave, which we know was just a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound, and it was stripped out in order to allow them to try to save face and say that they at least tried to push it through, even though they really didn't and knew it was going to fail. Bernie released a statement saying he was proud of the House passed legislation, which is okay. Thanks, Bernie. Yep. Yeah. All right. At the time of record-breaking profits for the rail industry, it is disgraceful that railroad workers do not have a single day of paid sick leave. Well, 
Yes, he vowed to do everything he can to make sure that rail workers in America are treated with dignity and respect, except for hold up the bill entirely. I could have done that, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Next. On December 1st, Railway Union source told The Intercept that the next phase of the fight, ready for this one? You want to talk shit, Liberty. Mm -hmm. Would be to demand that Biden include rail workers in an upcoming executive order that would mandate 56 hours of paid sick leave for federal contractors. This sounds great. Advocates added that all organizing should go toward that executive order. No. They had us the first half. I'm not going to lie. Right? Right? All, <laughs> dude, that, that's good. Um, so all organizing should go toward the... Uh, what? No. No. The labor disputes over paid sick days have come to this point. is no surprise. Right? Rail unions have been agitating for sick pay for years long in, in the years-long bargaining process. Throughout the pandemic, too, progressive public health experts and advocates have sounded the alarm for increased access access to paid sick leave. Mm. Pandemic paid sick leave expired in, in December 2020, leaving the country without a federal paid sick leave program. The U.S. is one of the only high-income countries in the world without paid sick leave. Now advocates say, in light of renewed public attention on the issued due to rail union statements is the time to make strides towards federal legislation for rail workers and for the millions of U.S. workers, except that there's only one thing. Yes, these policies are absolutely necessary for the workers' economic health and well-being. Yes, I agree, except that there's no incentive for the wealthy to do so, and they're not going to do it. So, Julia Reifman, who is an assistant uh, professor at uh, Boston University School of Public Health, she's tracked states policies to mitigate COVID since the start of the pandemic. She said people who need the most paid sick leave are the least likely to have it. 100% true right there. That is a totally true statement. Can't argue with it. Indeed, work mm -hmm. absences due to COVID and other illnesses tend to, to disproportionately affect Black, Latinx, and low-income workers and women. Of course, they're the ones that had to go to work during the pandemic. Of course. In Rafin's mm -hmm. prior work with the Urban Institute, she found that when people reported missing work due to COVID-related illnesses or caregiving, they also reported food insufficiency. Well, of course, when you don't have money to earn, you don't have money to go buy food. Yeah, that's how it works. People with low wealth have little yeah. flexibility to meet their immediate needs when they miss work due to illness. Paid sick leave, she argued, is thus a policy that helps people avoid a health and an economic hit. It's really important that paid sick leave policies cover low income, self-employed, and part-time workers. Um, yeah, thanks. So, late last month, she asserted that instead of blocking the rail strike, Congress should focus on expanding paid sick leave by passing the Healthy Families Act, which is H.R. 2465. Well, what's that? Well, it's a piece of proposed Something sick day. It probably won't lead to healthy families, I'm, I'm betting. Well, Usually that's how House bills are, are titled. Welcome to Congress, right? I name mean, it the opposite of what it, what it does. It's yeah. opposite bill day. So. H.R. 2465 is a piece of proposed sick day legislation, which would, which would require employers with 15 or more employers employees to provide up to 56 hours of paid sick leave in a year. Yay. It's been introduced in every Congress since 2004. But the bill's currently stalled in the House. Like it always is. It's just one of those things to just put on the books to say veneer purposes for platitudes. Discussion of paid sick days is mainly focused on the benefits to workers once they get sick, 
Sick leave policy is also strongly correlated with preventative health benefits that can keep them from getting sick in the first place. Yes, going to the dentist, going for your annual physicals, all these things. I mean, the company I worked for, they gave you time off and they gave you the hours back, but the rail workers are not getting any of that. Sick workers get to stay home and recover, and they don't risk infecting coworkers. Studies have shown that requiring employees employers to provide paid sick days reduces the spread of flu and other airborne illnesses, reduces emergency room visits by 1.3 million annually. In what? Globally? I mean, that's that's a pretty big number, and I'd have to look at the study. But emergency pandemic paid leave helps slow, slow the spread of COVID by roughly 15,000 cases per day. Um, okay. So she, alongside her colleagues from BU and Drexel, recently found that paid sick leave policies are also strongly associated with increased vaccination rates because they may make it easier Mm -hmm. for workers to get vaccinated. Since vaccination decreases morbidity, mortality, and long rates of COVID, strengthening paid sick leave policy can lead to a positive domino effect for workers and and lessen the associated economic impacts of illness-related work absences. I would again add to the most vulnerable people. And I don't think that they're intending that, but I will add that caveat. But they also found that coverage, vaccination coverage may be 17% higher in cities with paid sick leave policies compared to cities without such policies, which is kind of interesting, right? Study came out of the Big Cities Health Coalition, which is a group that connected some of the largest health departments in the country to combat COVID inequities. Researchers examined national and city-level data on vaccination coverage, paid sick leave policies, and social vulnerability across 37 cities, representing 20% of the U.S. population. This is a pretty broad study. This is the kind of study I I like to see and actually put weight on, because this is, like, serious, right? This is not taking a sample like the freaking networks do, right? Alina Shankimal, Raveman's co-author and assistant professor in the Urban Health Collaborative and the Department of Health Policy and Management at... Drexel said that coalition investigated why COVID disparities differ across cities. And this question compelled the group to look at the policies that affect vaccination rates, including paid sick leave. Hmm. Regardless of whether a city has paid sick leave or not, socially vulnerable neighborhoods have lower vaccination rates, of course. But Shanky Mal emphasizes that in cities with a comprehensive paid sick leave policy, her group saw a smaller gap in vaccination between the least and most socially vulnerable neighborhoods, meaning that the policy also works to lessen the disparities within cities. Group defined vulnerability based on the CDC, you know, uh, index, which. Hmm. The authors conclude that paid sick yeah. leave may indirectly reduce disparities, not only in COVID-19 exposure, but also the the burden of illness and death by increasing vaccination among cities' most vulnerable residents. Well, if you provide paid sick leave and you provide health care, amazing what happens. People actually take advantage of it. The authors find that in 22 cities with paid sick leave that were analyzed in the study, the median percentage of vaccinated residents aged 18 to 64 was 73% compared to only 66.5% in cities with paid sick leave policies, approximately 73% for the podcast. 73.2. This discrepancy held up even after controlling for a host of other factors that might contribute to higher vaccination rates, such as 
county and state level election result data and the political party of the state's governor. It's not just about how progressive a city is. All the models show that paid sick leave correlates with higher vaccination. So if you're focused on getting people vaccinated, you should be advocating and pushing for paid sick leave is, I think, the messaging here. So, yeah. So, schnacky model. Not great. Well, again, we want people on board for whatever reason they want to get on board. Um, And and even ones we disagree with in, in theory, because we're not for mass vaccination, at least for this. Again, I, I listened to an ad on the radio right. today this, that the, said if they possibly means test paid sick leave through. They literally were advertising vaccination status. Wait a minute, they were literally were advertising get your shot for the original COVID and the original Omicron strain on the radio. They were telling you that's what it was for. Hmm. Okay, okay. The COVID vaccination is safe and effective, as our friend Jimmy Dore likes to say. Is that like when like new Coke you, went back to being like old Coke? Right. But there are also states that haven't passed them, actually prohibited cities from passing new expanded policies. These statewide preemptions, which are often tied to minimum wage laws, inhibit the benefits for low income and communities of color, 100%. Absent federal policy, we also have the option for states to rescind these preemptions and allow cities to pass policies that would benefit public health and decrease disparities. That's not going to happen. So there's a federal law that's there that they could pass right now that they're not going to. Why? She emphasized broader federal action. Again, we need to aspire to do better across the whole country. Agreed. I mean, while the federal government has failed to move... Yeah, but how? What do you mean how? Well, the first thing is you require... You require any federal contractors to to have paid sick leave. That's the first thing that you do. It's been sure. on the books. I mean, they they yeah. could just vote for that right now and pass that in but, a week if they want, but they're not going to. So what do you do? Right. How do you how do you yes. force how do you force the employers? Well, withhold work withhold labor labor is usually the way that I like to do it, but that's yeah. That's the last some of the power that you actually have. That's a last resort. Unless it's illegal, in most cases. Oh, especially when it's illegal. And then, um, you know, or you can just pro- do it and see what happens. <clears throat> well, you can, and there's a lot of big risk there, and some people are willing to take that risk, others mm-hmm. are not. That's the problem: is that not everybody is willing to take that risk. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in federal, it's imperative here that's that the federal government does it. That is the only way to reach everybody. And it's 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 like, you know, with the CARES Act, with all of this, they were saying you've the only way to do this universally is to do it universally. Because if you try to start picking and choosing, you're never going to get everybody to do anything. Um Biden campaign on Build Back Better, a bill whose original proposed Proposal set aside two hundred billion dollars toward paid sick leave. So we all know what happened to build back bullshit. The American public voted for him based on that platform. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Stop. And as much as the August 2021 passage of the IRA was a victory, no, it wasn't. The law left out uh the the law left out policies that are key to a robust social safety net like paid sick leave. Of course it did. We still have a lot to do on that front. 
Mhm. Ja. So. I want to call your attention, independentleft.shop. We, I added a, a how do we miss that sh uh, shirt, t-shirt to the merch store today. So check that out. All right. All right. We got a couple of dozen people watching. Oz in the house. What's up, Oz? The, the jam on. We are, again, over on the rockfin. Rockfin.com slash news. And I think there actually is a stream deck button for that, but I'll do it anyway. You know, you can chat over there, guys. It's ad-free. If you don't have YouTube Premium, just about everything that you watch, RBN, Richard Medhurst, JB Font, Sabby Sabs, Jimmy Dore, Mitt Press News, Lee Camp. You can also so many. You Whitney can also Webb, talk with us on MySpace. They're all over on the rock. www.myspace.com slash network. Ad-free. And most of their stuff is not premium. Um, most of our stuff is not premium. I make the clips premium, but you can still watch the full stream for free at any time and just scroll through it. Um, just to, just to make it mm. a little bit easier and give the premium user something. Um, and then after a week, all the clips are free too. It's just throughout the week as I make, as I release them. That's all. Anyway. Um, so what else do we have here? Yipper. Deluxe. Welcome. Yipper. Marika. Spoopy. Velvet Trance. How are you? Spoopy. Uh, Kelly M. Hi, hi, hi. We of course have Rick and Anthony, and I'm guessing Warren, Uncle Warren, is out there somewhere. If he's not, Signs, we're over here now. Signs, thank you so much, and uh, and Human Love Solidarity, who is also a human being, I believe, over on the Rockfins. Thank you for all of your support and generosity. Human beans. We, we appreciate you over there too. You're the best. Um, Do we have any Bean Boy tonight? No Bean Boy. Bean Boy. Bean Boy. I don't even know what yeah, Bean Boy legume. is. No, we don't have any Bean Boy. We don't. We haven't done a Bean Boy in a little bit. No, no Judd Legume. Let's get into Twitter files. Bean Boy. Let's freaking do it. This okay. is a lot here. It's not just Taibi. I there's also Barry Weiss, who I'm not a fan of, but I didn't want to. And I didn't want to put her picture. I could have put Elon there too and gotten some more clickbait. But hmm. this was the legendary drop on December second. This it's going to be history. I mean, really. Um, Matt, what's what do you up? mean? I, I heard it was a big nothing burger. Well, it, it's it's a nothing burger that's gotten 378,000 likes on, on the platform and over 130,000 retweets. And this was cropped the other day, and I'm sure there's even more now. But mm -hmm. I've, I found a thread reader so that you don't have, we don't have to read it clogged with all the different to see exactly how much action and whatever. I'm going to give some notes and some flair, yeah. flair on this, but I just want to kind of get through it and explain what this is. So I, I work a corporate job in my real life. So I have some visibility into some of this stuff, into what these Slack conversations are. And I have a little bit of context that I might be able to provide. And I want to just show what Matt's talking about and, and give my perspective. Um, if you watch Primo Radical, I love what Primo Radical, his take on this has been so good as well. And I think that you're going to find that it's pretty similar to what, what both Matt what published What you're it. about to read is the first installment Holy in shit. a series based upon... Oh, my God. That was great. Thousands of internal Primo. documents obtained Primo. by sources at Twitter. Primo Robot. That was, that was brilliant, by the way. Uh, that, <laughs> that, was, that was absolute brilliant. So... 
Twitter Files tells an incredible story from inside of one of the largest and most influential social media platforms. It's a Frankenstein tale of a human being mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Pretty cool, right? And then it skips a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm only going to go to the most important ones. I'm not, I'm not reading through this whole thing because it would take forever. But the key is, is that both parties had access to these tools to censor and to request blocks and to request reviews. For instance, in 2020, requests mm-hmm. from both Trump White House and Biden campaign were received and honored. Very important here. Campaign requests from White House were honored. This was not a complete one-sided thing. Now, it, it definitely was slanted. However, it was not complete. And because and he's saying here the system wasn't balanced. It was based on contacts. And because Twitter was and is overwhelming stuff by Shit libs, <laughs> I'll say it. All right. Mm-hmm. And how much? Well, here's just how much. <laughs> 96 to 99% of the individual contributions in 2018, 2020, and 2022 from the employees of Twitter went to Democrats. So we're not even talking like just a little bit of bias here. We're talking blind hatred. And you could kind of see from either from their tweets publicly and from their internal discussions, they were no fan of Trump administration, people who worked at Twitter. So Twitter files part one, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story is really the key of the first drop. Well, obviously it's because it's Russian malinformation. So what happened? So what happened? I think we all know, but on October 14th, 2020, New York Post published the Biden secret emails and expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. And what happened next? Haley McEnany, Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links, posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via DMs, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases, e.g. child pornography. White House spokesman Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from the from Trump campaign staffer Mike Mike Hahn, who seemed at least pretend to care for the next twenty days because they were literally twenty days out from the election. And here's the email. Mike like, seems like one of those names that Bart would get, like the bartender to to say. No, no, that's Mike Hunt. You know? That's Hunt. His last name is Hunt. Oh. Mike. Mike. First name Mike. Yeah, first name Michael. Last name Hunt. Goes by Mike. Mike. That's Mike Han. Yes, Mike, Mike Han. Yes. Um, All right. And what's really amazing is you're literally seeing like the email addresses. That this is the raw stuff. Mm. They don't normally look. Twitter, government, and politics. And again, you're getting you're getting a guy who worked directly with the Trump campaign. So what what it says here is all she did was cite the story and firsthand reporting that's been reported by other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an answer immediately on how she'll okay. get unlocked, right? And not wrong. These guys are now playing who gets to say and decide what. This is another key thing. Everybody is saying that the FBI somehow was involved, but according to... Evidence that Matt's seen, there is no evidence of any government involvement in the Hunter Biden well, laptop story and censoring it. You say that. You say that, but I have a clip of Joe Rogan talking to another social media giant in Zuckerberg 
Yes. That the FBI did come to him and ask him not to put that out because they said it was Russian information. Yes. So, I mean, uh, we also get to talk about, like... Vajaya. Vajaya, watch your mouth. This is a family show. <laughs> well, here... Well, yeah, exactly, because now just we're... Say, just, just, mm. just because Vajaya... Just go ahead and say it. Pussy. No, Vajaya. Vajaya Gotti was the <laughs> legal policy and trust, all right? And this was made without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey on censoring the Hunter Biden laptop, all right? Um, but how does he important. not know? Because he was I mean, running... I know Vanessa did a whole thing I'll on tell, him I'll tell you how. Well, first of all, he, ago, he so. also was was running Square slash Block at the time. You know, that's, that's another Fortune right. 500 company. He's a dual CEO. Yes. Dual CEO. Right. Which you means can, so, he's dual evil. Well, no, yes, but what it means is that he's relying on the other C-level executives to really run the company because he's a public face. He's more an, evangel an evangelist than the day-to-day -day operations control of the company. He's a chairman slash CEO. It's a title. Um, but you can see the confusion in the following lengthy, lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gaddy and former trust and safety chief Yoel Roth. We know... A lot more about Yoel Roth now, and it's not great. Um, comms official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. Yep. So now they're starting to have into oh, oh, shit. They're starting to they're starting to that's panic a little bit, Roth. right? And then even in one humorous yep. exchange on day one, Rokana. We know Rokana. He reaches out to Gaddy, oh. and because why? Because Rokana is Silicon Valley's congressman. So he's basically calling on Fuck behalf you. of you. Um, he's calling on behalf of Congress and on behalf of himself because he's the only one who's even remotely plugged into this that has any idea. But I guarantee that someone with the campaign told, got on the phone and said, This is your district. Find out what the hell's going on here. So Roe reaches mm. out to Gaddy to, to gently suggest she hop on the phone to talk about the Backlash re-speech. Kana was the only Democratic official I could find in the files who expressed concern at all. And he did it, by the way, from his own personal Gmail account. See that? Anyway, uh, Kana tries to reroute the conversation to the First Amendment, mention of which is generally hard to find in the files. Guys, by the way, I'm not doxing him. This is public. This is published already on Twitter. I'm just grabbing this right off Twitter. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk, and Matt talks about why he published it on Twitter. That was part of the conditions of doing this. So, so he's talking to Vijaya. Vijaya. Yeah, Vijaya is the <laughs> chief legal counsel. So he offers his, just wanted to offer my two cents. Please keep this communication just between us and Jack. No need to CC the team or forward them. You mean he's got one way of legislating when it comes to the C to the C level and one way of talking when it comes to everybody else? Like a private policy and a public one. Wow. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's that what I saying? saw. Yeah, a little bit. Hmm. Then we skip down and we get to net choice. Net choice is like a nanny thing that, that they hired who to to monitor speech and stuff. So net choice lets Twitter know that a bloodbath awaits at upcoming Hill hearings. They're also gathering sentiment because they're listening, they're measuring what's happening with different Congress people. A member saying it's a tipping point complaining tech has grown so big that they can't even re regulate themselves. 
so government may need to intervene. So every Republican said it's a tipping point. Both Democrats and Republicans were angry. Of course they were. This is over the Hunter Biden leaks. Right? Yep. The, the censoring of the Hunter Biden story, which some people say could have or did swing the election. I have questions. 20 days out, I I don't know. I, I don't think that Hunter has anything you know, affects it, whatever. But that, that it's totally open to interpretation, and that's we're going to get to all that. Sable reports to Twitter mm -hmm. that some Hill figures are characterizing laptop stories, text access Hollywood moment, right? So that's, we got one more from the Twitter files continued. First Amendment isn't absolute. This is the last entry that he had uh, on the thread for the night, and then he had some supplemental stuff to add, which I'll have. But he said the Democrats complained that companies are inept, right? So this is this is company coming from inside Twitter. Democrats were in agreement. Inside the House. Right? Inside the House. Social media needs to moderate more because they're corrupting democracy and making all truth relative. When pushed on how the government might insist on that, consistent with the First Amendment, they demurred. The First Amendment isn't absolute. Wait, what? Yeah. It's like what? Musk said, freedom, freedom of speech isn't freedom of reach. An amazing subplot. What? Right. That was good. Was how much this was done without the knowledge of Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get unfucked, as one employee put it after, even after he jumped in. While reviewing Gaddy's emails, I saw a familiar name, my own Matt Taibbi did. Because Dorsey sent her a mm -hmm. copy of his Substack article blasting the incident. A little bit of an ego stroke to Matt, but he he earned it. So yeah. that so that was on the second, I believe, of December. He drops that at night, and it's thread journalism. He's dropping it one tweet at a time, and everybody's kind of hanging, like, "What is this? Like, what's going on here?" And then we're like, mm -hmm. "Huh?" So four days later, we get this at a, in the middle of the afternoon. Captain's log. Captain's log. Supplemental. So this was Tuesday <laughs> that on Friday, the first installment was published here. We expected to publish more over the weekend. Many wonder why there's a delay. We can tell you why. Because this guy named Jim Baker was fired on Tuesday. Among the reasons, vetting the first batch of Twitter files without the knowledge of new management. Wait, what? Yeah. Sorry, what? In other my, news, Jim my, Candlestick Maker. My jaw hit the floor. Well, well, <laughs> Fox has been uh, allowed to investigate Henhouse effectively is is what you're talking about here. So what happened? Baker's mm. a controversial figure. He's been something of a zealot of FBI controversies dating back to 2016, from the Steele dossier to the Alpha server mess. He resigned in 2018 after an investigation into leaks into the press. The news that Baker was reviewing the Twitter files surprised everyone involved, to say the least. New Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit Baker on Tuesday. <clears throat> and then they had to go through, what did he delete anything? What did he do? What does he know? What did he copy to the... Now, who, he worked for the FBI for years and years and years, apparently. So that was a whole other mess that came out. So that was on Tuesday. Then, Friday night, Barry Way starts dropping her stuff. And we knew that she was going to be doing that soon. And it, yeah. this one's pretty interesting because of 
these secret blacklists. And this is where they started to yell nothing burger. And I agree yeah. and disagree. And here's the thing that a new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing users. That is news, whether you like it or not. We suspected we have never mm -hmm. had hard evidence. We've never seen the, the Slack messages back and forth that prove it. Right. Twitter once had a mission to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Along the way, barriers nevertheless were erected. <laughs> Take, for example, Stanford's Dr. J. Bhattacharya. We're familiar with him. If, you, if you're a Jimmy Dore fan, if you know about the Great Barrington mm -hmm. Declaration, Okay. He's, argued, he's argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Um, he's also said, and the Great Barrington Declaration has been stringent in, in, in declaring that, they, that the most vulnerable in the society should absolutely be vaccinated, but, you sh but we should not try to mass vaccinate everyone as a solution because you cannot vaccinate your way out of this problem. But the COVID vaccine is, safe, vaccine is safe and effective, according to YouTube. So, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his, his tweets from trending. And there is the screenshot showing trends blacklist. Pretty interesting. Twitter denied that it does such things, of course. In 2018, Twitter's Vijaya Gotti. Then she was head of legal policy and trust, which Yoel Roth then took over. And Kayvon Begpour said, we do not shadow ban. And then they added, we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. Indignant. What many people call shadow banning, Twitter executives and employees call visibility filtering, or VF. Multiple high-level sources confirmed its meaning. Think about VF as being a way for us to suppress what people see to different levels. Straight up the word suppress. It's a very powerful tool. Reef, you got something to say there? Um, on what? Suppressing eight. Think about visibility filtering as being a way for us to suppress what people see at different levels. Yes. It's a very, very powerful yeah. tool. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but the mechanisms yeah, that they say didn't banning. exist. We, it's, yes. But this is the mechanisms mm -hmm. they say didn't exist, and now you're seeing the specific controls and the yeah, screenshots but, and everything that's actually allowing that to happen. All right, so. Well, but I mean, come on, man. This is obviously Russian propaganda. Obviously. I don't know how you don't... Obviously. You know what I mean? Obviously. Well, like, is, is, isn't VF a... A Russian terminology? Sure. Um, I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. VF refers to Twitter's control over, over user visibility. It used VF to block searches of individual users, to limit the scope of particular tweets for discoverability, to block certain users, select users' posts from ever appearing on the trending page, and from inclusion in all hashtag searches, all without users' knowledge. Shadow banning. But that's not shadow banning. We control visibility quite a bit. And we control the amplification of your content quite a bit. And normal people do not know how much we do, one Twitter engineer told us. Two additional employee, Twitter employees confirmed it. The group that decided... Just read, whether, that, read that again for people one, yep. one more time. 
quote. We control like, visibility quite a bit. And we control the amplification yep. of your content quite a bit. And normal people do not know how much we do. That's the big part. That's the big part. They're essentially saying, yeah, like normal people are dumb. They don't know. How can they? They have Jesus. no visibility into this. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Mm. The group that decided whether to limit the, the reach of certain users was the SRT GET, the, the, you know, the Strategic Response Team Global Escalation. The CERT GET. Yeah. It often yeah. handled up to 200 cases a day. And what's a case? But there existed a level beyond official ticketing beyond the rank-and-file moderators following the company's policy on paper, and that's the SIPPES, Site Integrity Policy, Policy Escalation Support. And who is this? This is a secret group which included Head of Legal Policy and Trust, Head of Global Safety and Trust, Global Head of Tr Trust and Safety, and, and the CEO and a couple of others. High, high, high level. Nobody even knew about it. This is and where all of these were like ex-FBI for the most part, right? I, like, I don't think that these people were necessarily. These are like C-level, and, and I'm sure there were people who were I've involved in. i a few in of them that were data, like. Data security. 14 more ex-FBI and security service Twitter employees today were like. Yes. And they were but, all at high level. You this know, is where the number 15, Vajaya, this is where the UL. biggest, most politically sensitive decisions <clears throat> got made. Think high follower count, controversial. There would be no ticket or anything. So there's no record of this stuff. But it turns out there actually is. But Pez seems like oh, it's it's just like you know, a like a product name, right? One of the accounts that rose to this level of like security, of course, was for beverages. Libs of TikTok, an account that was on the trends yeah. blacklist and was designated as "Do not take action on user without consulting with Pez. This is, by the way, what do they mean by action? Meaning, don't block them, don't ban their account, don't shadow ban their stuff. Don't do anything without consulting the highest levels of of executive management, because they're they're watching this. I thought personally. lives of TikTok was, um, they're right wingers. They're making fun of the libs of right. TikTok. Right. So what? I all, guess why would they? Who works at Who works why would at they Twitter? Have them not take action. Who works at Twitter? They have to be careful because it's a high profile right wing sure. account. Like James Woods, for example, which they end up banning later on. And we're going to talk about James Woods. But Libs of TikTok it was on the trends blacklist, meaning that their their stuff was not allowed to go viral right. or to trend on top Anywhere. of other things. Right. So does that but, mean they also have actions that would boost uh, that, that, that yes, they're talking to? Of course they could. Who are they, but, who are they sending that to? That info? Mm -hmm. Good question. Like any actual actual user, like what actions does that user have? Well, normally it's paid. You know, they have to pay Twitter ads. That's how they boost it. But you sure. think Twitter can't mm -hmm. can't give that a little boost if they want to automatically? You know, artific you know, like right. When there's a a worldwide disaster and they want to push a hashtag, you guarantee they can do that. Yeah, and and artificially, okay. Vosh trends every day in your newsfeed. Need I say more? Yeah. Okay. Twitter repeatedly informed the owner of Libby's TikTok account that she'd been suspended for violating Twitter's policy against hateful conduct. However, internal SIPPES memo from October 2022, after her seventh suspension, committee acknowledged that she's not directly engaged in 
behavior violative of the hateful conduct policy. Uh, okay. They have continued targeting individuals of the LGBTQ for alleged misconduct. Okay, but that is not violative of their policy. Um, mm. According to this. Committee justified her suspensions internally by claiming that her post encouraged online harassment of hospitals and medical providers by insinuating that gender-affirming health care is equivalent to child abuse or grooming. But compare this to what happened when she herself was doxxed on November 21st. A photo of her home with her address was posted in a tweet that's garnered more than 10,000 likes. Ready for this? The tweet's mm -hmm. still up. Right now. When she told Twitter that her address had been disseminated, she says Twitter support responded with this message. We reviewed the reported content and didn't find it to be in violation of the Twitter rules. No action was taken. Doxing tweet still up. Not a fan of lives of TikTok myself, but that's ridiculous. I mean, come on. People have put up pictures of Misty's house and not even put the address, and it's still, you got to get that shit taken down. That's. Mm-hmm. Hypothesis underlying much of what we've implemented, according to Yoel Roth, is that expo if exposure to misinformation directly causes harm, then we should use remediations that reduce exposure and limiting the spread and virality of content is a good way to do that. And then he adds that they got Jack on board with implementing this for civic integrity in the near term, but they're going to need to make a more robust case to get this into our repertoire of policy remediations, especially for other policy domains. He's setting up now what's going to be happening and he sees the writing on the wall and he's like how are we going to start further banning and further implementing policy and showing that it is official and getting Jack to be on board with it so this is right before of course the company sold and pretty interesting October 2022 we knew that Elon's taking over I would guess that this policy, whatever they're doing, they're, they're trying to button it up before he gets, he takes over, not realizing that he's basically going to flip the entire thing over and fire half the people and do everything that he did. So, Barry also wants to say that the authors have broad and expanding access to Twitter's files. The only condition we agreed to was that the material would first be published on Twitter. This is really important. Everybody's saying that this is handpicked, that they were only given certain files and certain emails and certain everything. No, they were given everything. Here, go through it. Where do you start? I mean, you and I start in different places, but this is where they started. Yeah. All right. We're just getting started on our reporting. Documents cannot tell the whole story here. A big thank you to everyone who's spoken to us so far. If you're a current or former Twitter employee, we'd love to hear from you. Please write to. This is at the Free Press. Now, again, not a big fan of Barry Weiss. She's terrible on Israel policy. Don't like. She worked for the New yes. York Times. She's Assange, mainstream media Assange shit lib. Toady. Terrible. But watch Taibbi for the next yeah. installment. And and I did cover Matt Taibbi's next installment. And I think that he was is on Rogan recently too. Fascinating. Oh really? Okay. So this is where it really yeah, starts to get thing. interesting. The removal of Donald Trump from Twitter, and this is the lead up to January sixth. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more of the tweets here because this really tells a story. Matt's a really good storyteller. By the way, if you have not already, tknews.substack.com, 
I think it might also be taibi.substack.com. It's Matt's Substack. It's five bucks a month. It's $50 a year. I became a paid supporter because, first of all, you get his breakdown and his analysis of what his take is on all of this, which I thought was pretty interesting and actually aligned pretty closely with where my with where, where I was. And I was asking tough questions the minute this stuff came out. Um, and I'll put up the tweet. I didn't grab the tweet from INN that I posted, which was basically that if was this happening before the election and turns out as this went further, yes, it was. World knows much of the story of what happened between riots at the Capitol on January 6th and the removal of Donald Trump from Twitter on January 8th. We're going to show you what hasn't been revealed, which is the erosion of standards within the company in the months before January 6th, decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies, which also is new news. So we, we had some, some interesting stuff happening here. Ah. First installment covers, of course, the period through the election, uh, uh, before the election through January 6th. That's what we're going to cover tomorrow. And we're going to do this next week because there was just so much to go through. Oh, my God. Michael Schellenberger will detail the chaos inside Twitter on January 7th. And then on Sunday today, Barry Weiss just published the secret internal communications from the key date of January 8th when they decided to ban him. Whatever your opinion on the decision to remove Trump that day, the internal communications at Twitter between January 6th and 8th have clear historical import. Even Twitter's employees understood in the moment that it was a landmark moment in the annals of speech. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did it for you. You did it on me. Yep. I think that's in the wrong place, but that's a pretty interesting. Uh, is this the first sitting head of state to ever be suspended? Soon as they finished banning Trump, Twitter execs started processing new power. They prepared to ban future presidents in White Houses, perhaps even Joe Biden. The new administration will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. They're already setting it up. Twitter executives removed Trump in part over what one executive called the context surrounding actions by Trump and supporters over the course of the election and, frankly, the, the last four-plus years. In the end, they looked at a broad picture, but that approach can cut both ways. Bulk of the internal debate leading to Trump's ban took place in those three January days. However, the intellectual framework was laid in the months preceding the Capitol riots. And this is where Yoel Roth comes into play. Before January 6th, Twitter was a unique mix of automated, rules-based enforcement and more subjective moderation by senior execs. As reported, the firm had a vast array of tools for, for manipulating visibility, most of which were thrown at Trump and others pre-January 6th. Mm -hmm. As the election approached, senior executives, perhaps under pressure from federal agencies with whom they met more as time progressed, increasingly struggled with rules and began to speak of VOs and pretext to what they'd likely have done anyway. Very important opinions. I, I, I don't remember what the VOs are. Um, oh, VIOs, VIOs, violations, VIOs. Okay. Mm. After January 6th, internal slacks show Twitter executives getting a kick out of intensified relationships with federal agencies. Here's UL Roth lamenting a generic 
a lack of generic enough calendar descriptions. He's he's humble bragging here. You know, he looks like one of those guys we have on who are these people? That's what Definitely not like. meeting with the FBI, I swear. Just yeah. AI generated. Okay. One particular Slack channel. This this really piqued my interest. Offers a unique window into the evolving thinking of top officials in late 2020 and early 2021. On October 8th, 2020, executives opened a channel called US 2020 XFN Enforcement. <clears throat> Through January 6th, this would be home for discussions about election-related removals, especially ones that involve high-profile accounts, often called VITs or very important tweeters. There was at least some tension between safety operations, which is a larger department whose staffers used a more rules-based process for addressing issues like porn, scams, and threats, and a smaller, more powerful cadre of senior policy execs like Roth and Gaddy. They're the little fiefdom. The latter group were a high-speed Supreme Court of moderation, issuing content rulings on the fly, often in minutes and based on guesses, gut calls, even Google searches even in cases involving the president. So there's this specific tweet where Trump tweets out 50,000 Ohio voters getting wrong absentee ballots out of control of rigged election. They say a rigged election would be enough to be in violation, right? But as it turns out, if the claim were in fact inaccurate, yes. However, Turns out it was true. And he found it where? On Reddit. Mm. Through NPR. Turns out that one's true. Hmm. During this time, executives were also clearly liaising with federal, employment, federal enforcement and intel agencies about moderation of election-related content. What? While we're still at the start of reviewing the Twitter files, we're finding out more about these interactions every day. This post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation shows that Roth not only met weekly with the FBI and, and Homeland Security, but also with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So, here's what's new for you since, we, since our last check-in. Hacked materials exploded. We blocked the New York Post story, then we unblocked it, then we said we unblocked it, and now we're in a messy situation where our policies in shambles, comms is angry, reporters think we're idiots, and we're refactoring an exceedingly complex policy 18 days out from an election. In short, fuck my life. Weekly sync with FBI, DHS, DNI, re-election security. The meeting happened about 15 minutes after the aforementioned hacked materials implosion. The government declined to share anything useful when asked. Monthly meeting with FBI, FITF. Um, that's, a, that's a business acronym. Briefed on several ongoing investigations. His report to the to FBI DHS is almost farcical in its self-flagellating tone. We've blocked the NYE, right? So exactly. Comms is angry. Reporters think we're idiots. In short, fuck my life. Some of his later slacks indicate his weekly confabs with federal law enforcement involved separate meetings. Here, he goes to the FBI and DHS respectively to go to an Aspen Institute thing, then take a call with Apple. And I didn't show the screenshot, but... He's showing that he's got these meetings on his calendar all the time to the point where he can't even make them all. 
Examining the entire election enforcement slack, we didn't see one reference to moderation requests from the Trump campaign, the Trump White House, or Republicans generally. We looked. They may exist. We were told they do. However, they were absent here. Is this what that dude was doing? Or was this happening in another channel entirely from another committee and another group of people privately that did not have access to this? I, I'm not sure. But this is also a pretty interesting revelation. That inside that channel, they were only talking about the Hunter Biden laptop and Democrats. And never about anything from the Trump campaign. Here's one case that's pretty interesting. Mike Huckabee, we know this guy. He joke tweets about mailing in ballots for his deceased grandparents and parents' grandparents. They vote just like me. Dumbass. So they're like, uh, what do we do? This inspires a long slack that reads like a parody. I agree it's a joke, but he's literally admitting a tweet in, in a tweet, a crime. Group declares Huck's an edge case, and though one notes, we don't make exceptions for jokes or satire, they ultimately decided to leave him be because We've poked enough bears. Totally subjective. You know, somebody else said this could still mislead, mislead people, could still mislead people. The humor versus the group declares before moving on. In the docs, they often expand criteria to subjective issues like intent. Yes, a video is authentic, but why was it shown? Orientation. Was a banned tweet shown to condemn or support? Or reception. Did a joke cause confusion? This reflex will be will become key on January 6th. In another example, Twitter employees prepare to slap mail-in voting is safe warning on a warning label on a Trump tweet about a postal screw up in Ohio before realizing the events took place, which meant that the tweet was factually accurate. And that's the one about the, the ballots. Nearly 50,000 voters received wrong ballots in Ohio. Does, do you feel safe moving in, mailing in your ballot? That's literally from ABC. No, a rigged. <laughs> he just knows how to troll everybody. He really does. And. <clears throat> oh, just, wow. Mm. So inside. What are they saying? Okay. Uh, they say to not sure how the process is forget. Are we expected to do the. The policy comes right up, right? And I've been on paid time off, so I'm not 100% up to speed. My understanding is both cases, in both cases, the events took place, and the commentary by POTUS is his opinion related to these events, so there wouldn't be any labeling action violation on our side. Yeah, these are factually accurate. Thanks for clarifying. So they can't do anything. They're yep. trying every day. They're looking at every tweet that he's making, and they're going, can we block this one, boss? Can we do this one, boss? How about this one, boss? Oh, oh look. Ah, we got it. We got... Wow. Okay. Again, I'm not a Trump fan. I didn't vote for Trump. I'm not a, not a Trump fan. But you can't do this. You can't do this to the president of the United States on every single tweet. You, you can't do this. They've never done this before in history. Very well done on speed. Trump was being visibility filtered as late as a week before the election. Here, senior execs didn't appear to have a particular violation, but still worked fast to make sure a fairly anodyne tweet couldn't be replied to, shared, or liked. 
This was factual. What's the team's recommendation? They had a whole doc to discuss it. Thank you. Agree. Flagging right now with the leadership given that it's POTUS. Uh, we'll set up a call. Can we use a new doc per PII review? Uh, okay. And then here's a new doc. And then it's EDI approved. Right? So a seemingly innocuous follow-up involved a tweet from an actor. We all know James Woods. He's total right-wing douchebag on Twitter, or used to be on Twitter, until they booted him off. Right? Why? Because he shared this tweet, which proves he's saying, he's claiming Twitter is suppressing this tweet by the president. Here's a screen grab. They can't share this. You can't really see what this is. They're trying to immediately call him out for being a liar, or at least provide some kind of additional context to this tweet that they don't do to anybody else. This is unequal treatment. Right? Um, they're saying that James Woods' ubiquitous presence in argued over Twitter datasets is already a Twitter files in joke. I guess among the, the researchers, because he's so effective at poking the bear and he's there so often and he pisses off Twitter executives so often. That would be my guess. After Woods angrily quote tweeted Trump's warning label, Twitter staff, in a preview of what ended up happening after January 6th, despaired of a reason for action, but resolved to hit him hard on future VIO. That is a really key phrase, that hit him hard on future VIO. Considering, mm. okay, he says, with firmer basis. Meanwhile, I love saying that, there are multiple instances of involving pro-Biden tweets warning that Trump may try to steal the election that got surfaced only to be approved by senior executives. This one, they decide, just expresses concern that mailed ballots might not make it on time. I mean, they're going to try to steal the election. These are blue checks. If you haven't voted yet, don't mail. Drop it off or vote early. If you can't vote, vote them out. Right? So it's encouraging people to vote. So therefore, even though they're saying they're, trying to, they're going to try to steal it, that's okay. This is an edge case with commentary and encouraging voters not to vote by mail. I believe we should label it. And I don't know who this Patrick Conlon is, but he seems to be making an awful lot of decisions about censorship here at Twitter. I'd not bother labeling with, with labeling this one. It's still encouraging people to vote, but expresses the concern that mailed ballots might not make it on time, which seems fair close to this election date. Still encouraging to people to turn in ballots in person or vote in person, which is good, except that. Okay. So on December 10th, as Trump is in the middle of firing off 25 tweets saying things like a coup is taking place in front of our eyes, Twitter executives announced, like literally in the middle of his tweet storm, a new L3 deamplification tool. This step meant a warning label now could also come with deamplification. And here again is our friend Patrick Conlon. Hello, everyone. I wanted to give you an update to some of our enforcement options for tweets containing the civic misinfo that we've seen. It's been decided that tweets that we've manually reviewed and determined need a label that need a label will now be subject to L3 deamplification, further restricting the extent to which that tweet can be shared. The current batch of entity IDs will soon be used for automated labeling work, but I've created a new batch of entity IDs for the labels that we've been using the most during past couple of weeks 
labels that we've only rarely used or that we've that have been deprecated already haven't gotten an L3 update. If there's a moment when we need the L3 version for one of those labels, please flag it to Matt Gradon or myself. To find the new L3 entity IDs, please look at this update tab and new civ blah, 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 also in some spreadsheet, right? So how do you find that out? Some executives wanted to use that new deamplification tool to silently limit Trump's reach more right away, like within minutes, beginning with the following tweet. And this is when Jim Jordan, he tweets, Trump got 11, more million, 11 million more votes, according to Jim Jordan, on Newsmax, and it's a segment, and they want to block this and, and deamplify it. The significance is that it shows that Twitter, in 2020 at least, was deploying a vast range of visible and invisible tools to rein in Trump's engagement long before January 6th. And before the election! How is that not the biggest story here? In Twitter docs, execs frequently refer to bots, e.g. let's put a bot on that. A bot is just any automated heuristic moderation rule. It could be anything. Every time a person in Brazil uses green and blob in the same sentence, do something. I call it an ift command. <coughs> so they created one in this instance. It appears that moderators added a bot for a Trump claim made on Breitbart. And I'm not a big fan of Breitbart. But this is interesting because immediately the bot ends up becoming an automated tool invisibly watching both Trump and apparently Breitbart. Trump by January 6th was quickly covered in bots, which is kind of funny. There is no way to follow the frenzied exchanges among Twitter personnel from, from between January 6th and 8th without knowing the basis of the company's vast lexicon of acronyms and Orwellian unwords. I love that. Acronyms and Orwellian unwords. That's so good. So bounce an account is to put it in timeout, usually for a 12-hour review or cool-off period. I actually got one of those on my DMs about a week and a half ago. Yep. Interstitial, and we're all very familiar with that because our friend Fiorella gets the interstitials every day, is one of the many nouns used as, as a verb in Twitter speak. Deny list is another, which means placing a physical label atop a tweet so it can't be seen. PII has multiple meanings, one being public interest in interstitial, i.e., a covering label applied for public interest reasons. Post below also references proactive V or proactive visibility filtering, meaning they're throwing the kitchen sink at this stuff. And they still can't stop it. And there's, can you imagine how far it would have gone, how much more viral, how many more people, how much more effective it could have been had they not thrown blocks on it? And yeah, they're not, again, it's, but we're supposed to have a free and equal country, right? Where everyone has the equality of opportunity and the equality of reach and the equality of message. Uh-huh. This is all necessary background of January 6th. Right. Before the riots, the company was engaged in an inherently insane and impossible to project, trying to create an ever-expanding, ostensibly rational set of rules to regulate every conceivable speech situation that might arise between humans. That sounds like a totally normal thing to do. The project was preposterous, yet its leaders were unable to see this, having become infected with groupthink, coming to believe sincerely, holy shit, 
that it was Twitter's responsibility to control as much as possible what people could talk about, how often, and with whom. That's the tweet that, that drove me insane right there. When panic first breaks about January 6th, there's a fair share of what the fuck type posts mixed in with frantic calls for Twitter to start deploying its full arsenal of moderation tools. What's the right remediation? Do we interstitial the video? S1 employee. This theme of policy perhaps being stressed by queries from communications executives who themselves have to answer the public questions occasionally appears. Two days later, you see chatter about pulling comms out of the loop. First company-wide email from Gaddy on January 6th announced that three Trump tweets had been bounced, but more importantly signaled a determination to use legit violations as a guide for any possible permanent suspension. Here's the email from Vijaya. Hi team, an update on actions we're taking as a, as, a, as, as a result of what's happening in D.C. today. We have removed three tweets from at real Donald Trump on January 6th for making unfounded claims of voter fraud and election theft, which must be viewed in the context of violence in Washington, D.C. today and reasonably can be expected to continue to incite and inspire violent acts around the country. We're requiring a 12-hour timeout following the removal of these tweets. We also have tweeted so there's transparency in our actions and making it clear that future violations of the Twitter rules will result in permanent suspension. Imagine if they had done this to Pedro Castillo. Imagine if they had done this to mm -hmm. Lula. Imagine if they had done this to Boris Johnson. Here's what happened. Trump's, safe to say Trump's go home with love and in peace tweet mid-riot didn't go over very well at, at Twitter headquarters. And there's our friend Patrick Conley. What the actual fuck? I'm labeling this now? What, what, what are you labeling it? Sorry, I got emotionally see angry seeing that. Turns out I'm not a full robot. Who knew? It's gut-wrenching. He's a horrible human being. So again, we're getting his personal bias now on full display. Mm -hmm. In the most critical moments. The last few notes about January 6th. Roth at one point looked and found. Trump had a slew of duplicate bot applications. They were making sure, like I said, throwing every possible filter that they could at every Trump tweet and every Trump everything to make sure that that he was not tagged, that he could you couldn't tag him and stuff that man. That campaign's got all kinds of cases that they can make that this what what was how do you determine exactly what the influence was here? So by the end of the first day, top execs are still trying to apply rules. By the next day, they'll contemplate a major change in approach. Watch this weekend for the play-by-play -play of how all that went down. And then we'll, we'll cover that next week. Maybe. I, I don't know. I'm going to look through it and see if it really makes sense to really go through the day-to-day. The, the -day. We all know what happened. I want to establish the corporate policy. And I'm going to talk. I have a recap and I have a summary of what are we pulling out of all this. By January 8th, mm -hmm. which we'll describe on Sunday, Twitter is going to be receiving plaudits from our partners in Washington. And the sitting U.S. president will no longer be heard on the platform. So lastly, people on the left, right, and in between want to know what else is in the Twitter files, from suppression and shadow banning of leftists, to lab league theorists, or amplification of military propaganda, or conservative accounts. We know everyone has questions. 
And while we stumbled on tidbits here and there about topics ranging from COVID to foreign policy, the reality is the data sets are so enormous and we're still working through them. Totally understand. That was a lot, I know. And I got one more story that's kind of heavy, but also kind of uplifting and kind of, wow. Um, but before I do, I know, let's take a, I got to take a breath. Um, who's back on Twitter? Now, yeah, I know. I saw that the uh, the Krasenstein. Oh, James Woods is back on Twitter, but I'm guessing he's not going to tweet until Trump does. Uh, <coughs> Harry Weiss did not dox the libs of TikTok. That tweet was already up and doxed, and she did not publish the account. Uh, that that tweet. I don't think that she doxed. Yeah, that no, person. it was someone else. They're talking about. You didn't read far enough down. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway. VOs, violations, those 14 other still work at Twitter. Yep. Yeah, it was all against the right. No, that's not all against the right. And I don't, Elon's wrong because Elon doesn't have access to this yet. Like, he, he's seeing it when we're seeing it. I mean, he's got access to all of it mm. because he gave it to them. But did he do the searching and did he do the, did he do the work? I mean, did he, no, he, he's, he's not doing the, the research that, that they're doing. He's not reading through all the day-to-day -day stuff. He just doesn't have the time. Taylor Lorenz, right. Taylor Lorenz is the one that, that did that. Um, mm -hmm. But I got one more and then we're going to, then we're going to go, but Eliza blue. Eliza yeah. blue. Oh wait. Okay. Wait, there's two more. All oh, right. Twitter files. I didn't do my summary. Duh. So this came out yesterday, Twitter files, part seven uh, on January 7th, part four. What are happen what's happening? And I just put these two in because this is where we're going to probably pick up. But as the, the pressure builds, Twitter execs build the case for a permanent ban. They create justified, they create justifications to ban him. They seek a change of policy for Trump alone. And they express no concern for the free speech or democracy implications of banning a president of the United States, which is pretty fucked up. So here's my conclusions. Number one, Twitter was absolutely suppressing POTUS as he was running for re-election because of their opinions, not due to anything legal. This alone is a massive problem as, it's, as it sets precedent and opens the door for Trump to scream he was cheated. Through every filter they had, had was the phrase that jumped out at me. Right. Like I said, we need to see who else Twitter was suppressing and yet all the accounts not in legal or platform violations reinstated and restored. They're bringing back pro-imperialist accounts like Krasenstein's now? Give me a fucking break. Julian Assange, yep. Palestine, Syria, Yemen, Fort Hood. What are they blocking with regard to Fort Hood? And then the Green Party. I mean, look, look, what, look at all the, the, the suppression of the Green Party. There were no rules for very important tweeters. Twitter execs were making it all up as they went along. I mean, wow. And then... Twitter trust and safety, of course, meeting weekly with the FBI, DHS, and DNI. How often were they pushing suppression of a story, filtering users? And here, the government seems to be in a position to place themselves between social media companies and foreign governments, combined with Pegasus, Toku, other types of spyware, on journalist devices. I mean, how, how is that legit? I mean... And then, and then he, here's my final thing is, and I keep saying, this is still being written. We are watching a textbook being written in real time 
None of us knows where it's going to go. The research is still being done. They're still digging into Slack. They're still digging into emails, and they're still learning more every hour. It's going to be months, and they're going to keep dripping and dropping this out like over months. That's that's how I see this happening. Um, and that's fine. I mean, what, is it, there any reason that they won't release them? Well, there's there is like all kinds of other journalists. Journalists, yes, but there's all kinds of sensitive information in there. I'm sure that they're trying to protect. Um, sure. Contact info and victims of sexual assault and trafficking and all kinds of things that are named in these communications that should not necessarily be made public. All right. And and that's that's why. But Eliza Blue. Big mad crab. Love it. Uh oh, Eliza Green, because of the green screen, it it became Eliza Black. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Sure. Okay. So what what's been going on? Does does anybody know who Eliza Blue is? I think most of you do. Some of you do. Well, Eliza Blue is a um, you put a poll up. I did. What were the mm -hmm. results of that poll? It was fifty fifty early on. Did I end that was poll? It? I don't know how to um, end it. It's 50 50 according I could, to that. I could look. But anyway. It's 50 50 now, still. Hmm. Back on November 23rd, he says um, it would be nice if the public found out the truth about what's actually been going on with Twitter over the past 10 years as it pertains to their failure around the, the issue of removing child sexual abuse material at scale. Notice the date on that. That's like nine days before the Twitter files and. If you read Matt's timeline, it was after this that Elon called him and, and offered to hand him all this. She is partially responsible, if not solely responsible, for the Twitter files themselves. I don't know if anybody knows this or realizes it. So I wanted to crop that. That's kind of important, kind of relevant. But I also wanted to crop this. Mm. In the last eight months, and I wrote this to Eliza, I got to learn about her. Executive produced a live stream where she was a guest, then got to read and share this important collection of quotes and support from people across the political spectrum about Julian Assange. And then the past five weeks has happened after her speech in D.C. Wow. And what's going on? Well, on December 1st, she says this will be the last update about child pornography before Elon Musk took ownership. This comes out on the first of every month story in the thread. So. 44,000 accounts on child pornography were eliminated from Twitter. Not enough. Improved manpower, technology. Right? And this was um, right after they eliminated a bunch of people, which they're now working on restaffing and throwing back. And I wanted to point out, Teresa Kelly, who's also a fan of the network and the show, pointed out to Eliza that she has over 150,000 followers that are seeing her tweets and able to respond. However, George Galloway has over... 400,000 and barely a hundred people are seeing his important truth telling tweets. Please stop giving Elon credit for things until he walks his talk, except that, and I feel you, but he, and he's eliminating leftists everywhere. Garland Nixon, he's kicked Jackson Hinkle off three times. How sexual abuse stuff and addressing that is a separate issue from this. And I can still, we can still give him credit for that. But she says after, they release after Matt's release. She she says soon she wants to do the Twitter files CSE. And then this guy Andrea, who uh, 
he came out with a whole thing about what Twitter is doing to fight exploitation. And there's a whole big thing. In the past 24 hours, again, Twitter started to step up efforts and took down 44,000 sp- suspicious accounts, including over 1,300 profiles that tried to bypass detection using code words and text and images to communicate. Zero tolerance. So Eliza's comment to, to Teresa and, and to everyone is that a few things can be true at once. That there is still child sexual abuse exploitation material on Twitter. There are still hashtags engaging in distributing exploitation content. Twitter is working hard to remove the content. And here's where to report. Report.cybertip.org. Eliza then goes into a Twitter spaces held by Mario. Five and a half hours. It's me. And at the end of it, Eliza jumps on the last 20 minutes and talks to Elon. Uh, now, again, this is not obviously Elon, but yeah, he says, thank you for the shout out. He he directly shouts her out. Thank you for prioritizing the vulnerable and voiceless. All right. Uh, when Elon said priority number one, I'm a father too, right? So am I. Again, five and a half hours. He took an open forum questions. What's his kid's name? Oh, goodness. Aeon, whatever. Blah, 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 X12. <laughs> X, yeah. Mm. Um, but this was when he also agreed to do the poll about Julian Assange and Edward Snowden that ended up getting 80%. Let them, let them go, set them free. Um, but Eliza ended up on this call and she says, sorry, I had to leave home at work. I just cried in front of 200,000 people. I think we just tried That's together. That's nothing, Eliza. Wow. She's wow. Just. All right. And then Tara saying in yesterday's spaces, Elon acknowledged the powerful work of Eliza to advocate for children and the commitment of Twitter to protect children online. Eliza has been a tireless advocate mm-hmm. for human sexual trafficking survivors. Um, and she's thanking everyone who supported her. I'll keep updating Twitter, but ultimately my work here is done. I'm moving my public advocacy to focusing on advocating for the thousands of survivors abused and exploited at the hands of the UN globally. Yes. It's happening there too. I'll never stop fighting for the survivors of Twitter, both in public and in private. I love you. I always have, and I always will. And I'm not leaving you. Thank you to everyone who supported my advocacy. And I'm just getting started. I totally believe that. And somebody says, I got to say, this is news to me. The UN keeps engaging, is engaging in human trafficking. Is there evidence? Well, this is on their own Um. website. And on December 4th, they're talking about victim blaming. And she's like, yeah, well, there's no excuse for this either. No arrests. I told her this was in the slideshow tonight. Do some PR on Mm. these nuts. Love her. These nuts. Ha! Got him. Yeah. So... She also is of the opinion that independent and citizen journalists covering one topic relentlessly and accurately is the new media. Um, Elon Musk says, I'm making child, removing child sexual exploitation of Twitter my number one priority. He makes the changes. U.S. government, investigate Elon Musk and other Twitter HQ members. Hmm. 
curious. 60,000 likes. Okay, there we go. There is still child ex- sexual abuse and exploitation material on Twitter. This, this issue will take a long time to eradicate, but the platform making it their top priority and removing it is a great, great start. Again, please report mm-hmm. exploitation. Twitter prioritized the censorship of non-illegal speech over the removal of child sexual abuse material at scale. Let that sink in. Yep. That's as a result of Barry Weiss and the second uh, and the second Twitter files thing um, with regard to the visibility filtering. All of this was going on as minor survivors begged the platform to remove their child sexual abuse material. Blacklist. Like, oh, gross. What kind of effect? I've been following you for a while, and I really believe you had a big hand in, in this by making Elon aware of it. And he has a lot on his plate. And to break through all that noise isn't easy. Him mentioning you shows me that you had a hand in this. Bravo. Yes, Eliza. Yes, you did. And then what happened? He, she got Jack and Elon into a spaces together to address this allegation that Twitter had not been addressing child sexual exploitation before Elon took over, or effectively. Mm. Right, Jack said that, that it was a lie. Elon says that when Ella Irwin joined Twitter earlier this year, almost no one was working on child safety. She raised this with Ned and Parag. They rejected her staffing request. And we read that. Minor, not even major. Uh, or maybe yeah. I read that today. I made it top priority immediately. Two and a half hours, she gets Elon and Jack. And everyone, let's settle this today and in public. Fierce. God, she's amazing. Yep. Tara, INN member, our sister Tara, love you to death, Tara Reed. Not that you need me to be proud of you, Eliza, but thank you for all you're doing for adult and children survivors and engaging Elon, who is taking action to protect children on Twitter. You're a rock star. And you too, Tarable808. And Eliza, I know Carl, her kitty, is proud. Look at this. INN member Tara Reed, mm-hmm. richest man in the world. Eliza Blue. Pretty freaking cool. Elon mm-hmm. had no reason to promise me anything. We had no prior connection before he purchased Twitter. My favorite Elon Musk quote of all time, when something's important enough, you do it, even if the odds are not in your favor. Sounds like the Hunger Games. Yep. So somebody, of course, has to go with the low smear, and it's and it is, and it's a smear. Is this Elon Ghislaine picture? And there's a lot of controversy over this Ghislaine picture. You know, is this the issue? Because of course, famous child sex trafficker, allegedly, yep, dedicated to eliminating sex trafficking from the platform. Well, no, not not allegedly convicted. Right. Now, so, except Eliza wants to remind people that, remember, when a public survivor of Epstein Maxwell thanked Elon Musk after he brought up the Epstein co-conspirators not being held accountable? I do. That was in June. Mm-hmm. That part photobomb photograph has been addressed by literally everyone except the individuals who, who invited her to the party. Get new material. That photo's tired and old. 
The real question here is why is she always invited to these events? Mm -hmm. Is that Deborah Messing? Don't know. And there were, again, 44,000 in a day. That, that was as much as there was in the month prior. And all the numbers that we've seen are that they have really made strides this month in increasing the number of accounts that are being eliminated. And to the point that somebody who's an advocate and dedicates all of her time to doing this is satisfied to the point that she's moving on to other things. So thank you, Eliza. But here, 44 billion buying Twitter, reducing child sexual exploitation priceless. And I thought that was a good way to kind of that. And then Eliza saying that the CSE material CSA material that Twitter 2.0 has removed over the last 72 hours, that was yesterday, uh, in some cases had been on Twitter for four years. It had 10 million collective views. Jesus. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I need a shower. Um, that was gross. Sorry. But important. Jesus Christ. Not enough people are talking about Eliza Blue. Not enough people are talking about what's still happening on Twitter with regard to trafficking, CSE, and it's uh, wow, she's she's amazing. I totally behind her. Um, and I'll amplify her story all day long. So keep them coming, keep fighting the fight. We're right behind you, and you got a lot of people that are right behind you, and a ton of support and a ton of love out there for you. Thank you, Eliza. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Appreciate you. All right. Uh, Nate, I doubt, highly doubt we'll see any news about the many anti-capitalist, anti-fascist accounts that have been targeted and suppressed and banned. I don't think that you're right. I think we're going to get it all. I don't think that the journalists that they picked are right-wing or left-wing in the end and that they're going to get it all out. I do really think that. Barry Weiss, I think, is. I think, oh, Barry Weiss is definitely right-wing, but she's got an agenda. That I Assad Toady line still kills me to this day on that. He's, yeah. Like, like she's, yep. she's part of that group. Not necessarily right-wing, but, like, far more corporate than... Like, far closer to establishment talking points. All right, that uh, wasn't terrible. So know, we got we got through it in an hour and a half. So this week, uh, tomorrow, we've got a very special stream for Tara. At, I believe it's going to be either 9 or 10 p.m. I think it's 10 p.m. Eastern. She's going to have ambassador to the U.N., Dmitry Polyansky, with Dan Kovalik. They were talking mm -hmm. about getting the... Um, Myrovitz kill list website taken down. She has been determined to get that taken yep. down. Um, she interviewed Fina. She's yep. interviewed Mira. She's interviewed several people on that list, including Wyatt Reed and Eva Bartlett and George Eliason and, 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 and there's too many. Igor Lopotnik. Um, uh, Maria also. So, tomorrow night, 9 o'clock. Tuesday night, 
I don't know what we're going to do uh, as far as Crab and Jesse's show, but Class War Consciousness at some point <laughs> will be happening. Jesse was on Hard Lens this week. If you didn't, if you missed that, by please go check yeah, it that out. Good. That was so good. I mean, he played a song and then he did. He read "Read Between the Lines," which was an incredible reading of that. And uh, he talked about INN and his show "American Tradition," and that was just awesome. Um, and then Wednesday, INN News with Reef and Colin. Don't know if they have any other guests planned, but. Definitely check out the segments with Sabby last week. Either. We've been um, working on them. We've got some ones lined up for future. Yep. Ones after Christmas that are going to be real nice. Warren's got that secret nice. show that's going on midnights at after midnight on uh, Saturday nights. And then, of course, we'll be back here next Sunday night for how did we miss that? And again, we'll, we'll probably go over the, the Twitter file stuff. There is still the chance that the railroad guys are going to go on strike on the 13th i think it's tomorrow so hopefully yeah fingers crossed they decide that they want to do that um we're behind them whatever they decide to do we understand that they're taking a tremendous risk and we're not asking them to do that you know blind and that we don't want to see them lose their jobs lose their health care and not be able to feed their families while they're doing that so they need to be protected if they want to go on strike they already voted to do so now we need to let them do it um and they have the strike funds. They have everything in place to be able to do that. But I think we are – anything else you want to – oh, uh, Big Mad Crab um, has a merch shop. We also have a merch shop. So everybody go buy some merch. Go. Um, INN also has a shop. IndieNews.shop, I believe, is the INN link. You, you Again, go to IndieNews.network. Yep. You can find the shop link. Go to independentleft.media. You can find yep. all my links, and you can go to the shops and you can buy yourself some merch. And we'll be we're going to be adding some more stuff there. But thank you again. This is a good good show. Appreciate you sticking with me through all the the Liza stuff. I know it was kind of tough material. They got a lot of a lot of stuff, and they're still working on getting more. There's still a lot of work to be done. But um, give her a follow, shout her out, thank her for what she's been doing. She's been doing great stuff. And uh, in in the meantime, I'm going to say uh, to question everyone, keep questioning everyone's motivations, everybody. And thank you so much. And say I'll see you next week. There you keep listening to what little birds have to tell you. Good night, fam. I think I liked it better being blind when I couldn't read between the lines and when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure that lay bare before me the whole time. I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowed pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue But they both bleed us so dry They both bleed us so dry My favorite songs don't hit the same way I get to the end of a four minute track And I'm only looking back thinking What did they actually say? <laughs>